got stragglers coming in here. Introduction to the wrong song. <laughs> Just a, the wake up chords. Your love is amazing, steady and unchanging. Your love is a mountain. Love is a mystery, how you gently lift me when I am surrounded. Your love carries me. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Your love makes me sing. Your love is surprising, I can feel it rising, all the joy that's growing deep inside of me, and every time I see you, all your goodness shines through, and I can feel this God song rising up in me. Your love is amazing, steady and unchanging. Your love is a mountain, burning beneath my feet. Your love is a mystery, I can gently lift me. When I am surrounded, your love carries me.
seated. So this is a time when uh, we can come together as a church and remember what Jesus Christ did for us on the cross. You're here because our God loved us so much that he laid down his life for us on the cross. Rose again to prove that everything he said, everything he did was true. And so when we come together on a regular basis, this is one of those special times to remember how much our God loves us. You don't have to be a member of the church to partake, but our prayer is this, that you know beyond a shadow of a doubt that you're going to heaven, not based on your good works, right? But on the work of God for you. That's why it's called amazing grace. You don't deserve it. You didn't earn it. But Jesus Christ laid down his life on the cross for you and for me, paid the price for our sins, and it becomes effective for me and for you when you believe it, right? For me, it was a, a simple prayer that changed everything for me. Lord Jesus, I believe you died on the cross for my sins. Lord, forgive me. I put my faith and trust in you. I invite you into my life. Take control of my life. I remember that day like it was yesterday, and that made all the difference. Next week, we're going to have baptisms. And I always ask people to share, when did you make that decision? You know, your parents can't make it for you. Can't grow up in a Christian household and think that's enough. You have to make that decision. Say, Lord, I, I believe. And you've told them that. I believe you died on the cross for me. That's what we're remembering today when we take the bread that symbolizes his body that was nailed to a piece of wood that he created, and we take the cup, a symbol of his blood that was shed for us. The Bible says without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sin. It's a righteous demand of a holy God. Justice demanded payment for our sin, and God made a way for you and for me. So if you believe that, we invite you to partake. The bread, a symbol of his body, the cup, a symbol of his blood. I'm going to ask the ushers to come forward. Let's pray over the bread and uh, turn our hearts to the Lord as we talk to him. Lord Jesus, thank you for what you did for us on the cross. Thank you that we believe in amazing grace. We didn't earn our way to salvation, but you provided it for us. And our faith is in you, Jesus. We love you today. I pray for everyone that's here. I pray, Lord, that we can put aside all distractions and focus on you and lift you up, that we would be a church that loves to worship you, that pride wouldn't get in the way, but we would realize you're awesome and the healthiest place that we can be is on our knees before you. So, Lord, we love you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.
say that this morning? Jesus, you are my king. Because he's the king of kings and the Lord of lords. And he reigns today. He's right here with us. I, I love the words that Jesus said, where two or three are gathered together in my name. There I am in the midst. He's right here. On the night that Jesus was betrayed, the Bible says he took the bread and after giving thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Let's partake together. Lord, thank you that you gave yourself fully for us, 100%. You laid down your life. No one took it from you. You laid it down willingly. You are the awesome Lamb of God. And Lord, I pray now as we partake of the cup that we would remember the extent to which you sacrificed yourself for us. You shed your blood for us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. The ushers will come down and distribute the cup.
is so powerful, isn't it, church? That the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. The Bible says, in like manner, Jesus took the cup and said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Let's partake together. Lord, we praise you. We love you. You are the name above all names. And we're here to worship you today, God. I pray that we would put aside all distractions and focus on you. Lord, be with everyone here today. Help them to know that they are loved by you. Loved by you all the way to the cross. Because you want to set us free. You want to set us free. And we pray this in the matchless name of Jesus Christ. And all God's people said... Amen. Let's all stand together and sing this chorus. Savior, he can move the mountains. My God is mighty to save. He is mighty to save forever. Author of salvation. Heroes and conquered the grave. Jesus conquered the grave. again. So we're going to dismiss our kids and our junior hires and our senior hires to their classes. Kids, you are dismissed before you're seated. Name tag Sunday. So say hi to somebody by name. Welcome them to Riverview Church. First Sunday in April. Man, it goes by fast. I know. Next Sunday, Palm Sunday. Next Sunday, after that Easter. Hey, we have a lot of announcements, so I want to get to it real quickly. By the way, if your seat in the seat closest to the center aisle in all four sections, would you take out a friendship register? It's right in front of you, probably. It's not there. It should be somewhere along the road. But that's our way of hearing from you. If you're a first-time visitor here, welcome. We're so glad you're here. Thank you for coming. By the way, at the information counter, there's a beautiful travel coffee mug with Riverview Church on it that we would love to give you with a little coupon inside for a custom-made coffee at our youth coffee counter. If you're a first-time visitor or regular tender, fill this out, tear up the sheet, put it on the left-hand side of the Friendship Register and send it on down. Thank you for sharing your prayer requests with us. We love praying for you. And we count it a great privilege to pray for whatever you're going through. So uh, thank you for doing that. Um, it, it really makes our time as staff and elders so much richer and deacons, so thank you. I have a number of announcements, so i got to do it quickly. All right, here we go. 
Easter baskets. If you want to help out with the Ronald McDonald House Easter baskets that we've been doing the last few years, we're working with FCA now. Uh, there's information in the bulletin or contact the church. They bring these baskets down to kids at the Ronald McDonald House. Also, a number of sign-ups on the patio today. Saturate North County. We're really part of something bigger called Saturate San Diego. And there are churches all around San Diego that are taking the bags that we put together. We stuffed 20,000 bags. And they're putting them on the doors of every house in the San Diego region. And we have Fallbrook and Bonzel. So could you do this? Again, I've been asking for a number of weeks. If you could say, go out to the patio today and say, you know what, I can do my street, my neighborhood, my three streets. We would love that. All you got to do is take the bag and put it on the door. It has a DVD with three movies about Jesus. The Jesus film that's been shown around the world. Uh, the Je Life of Jesus from the Eyes of Kids. And a, a film about Mary Magdalene. And then inside is a booklet called, Would You Like to Know God Personally? An invite card to Riverview and a little letter from me. Love for you to just take that, put it on the door of your neighbors and move on to the next house. That's all we got to do. And just let people know they're invited to meet Jesus Christ. and They're invited to this church, of course. So if you could, after the service, go to the patio. Uh, Greg Mangus, Greg, is he here? He's generally on the patio after the service. He'll be there to tell you exactly how you can help. We need your help. We want to get them all out by Easter Sunday. Riverview men are starting a new series, A Man and His Marriage. We have a video about that. Let's watch it. special effects on that video are amazing. Wow. Whew. So if you don't want to go before, now of course watching that video you'll want to go now. So uh, we'd love for you to sign up today. It starts a week from this Tuesday. Next announcement. Uh, Daniel Plan, that's a women's ministry thing here. It's all about living healthy. Uh, they are beginning their next session called Focus on April 18th. That's uh, in the mornings. They meet at 930. You can sign up on the patio as well. Women's Tuesday Bible study. We're not signing up today. Uh, but that's a Bible study called Be Anxious for Nothing. And it's a Max Lucado study, a five-week study. Ladies, next week we'll sign up for that. We'll tell you more about it. Tea Party and Fashion Show, our uh, ministry that we support, White Rainbow Project, which is a ministry all to itself, uh, but we support it. They are having a Tea Party and Fashion Show. If you want to find out more about that, you can sign up uh, at the 
the canopy that they're at and let them know space is kind of limited. So it's a fundraiser for this amazing ministry. Riverview Riders, they're doing a bike ride coming up on April 28th. Uh, you can sign up for that as well on the patio. And if you have kids that would be interested in building a soapbox, Jim is out on the patio. We're doing a little soapbox project where people can, uh, these kids can build a soapbox and be part of a derby and learn about Jesus while they do it. So uh, parents stop out on the patio to find out about that. Um, baptisms are next week. Not too late to be baptized. If you want to be baptized, let me know. Call the church. Put it in the Friendship Register. It'll be right here at the church at the 9.30 and 11 service. Good Friday service is April 19th at 7 o'clock. And then Easter, April 21st. Our kids are singing. Can you pray about who you want to invite to our Easter service? If every one of us just invited one person, right, to Easter. Make them feel like they're invited. That would be powerful. And uh, we'll have a celebration of our time together here, uh, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Paul, one of our elders, is going to come pray for our offering this morning. Paul, come on. Good morning, Riverview. So if the ushers could come forward, uh, the ministry that we're focusing on this morning is Mexico Outreach. Uh, this summer, they'll have a week short-term missionary, a short-term missions trip, and uh, we just want to pray for that. Bow our heads. Lord God, we thank you for this day, for an opportunity to come together to worship you, to remember you, Lord God, what your son Jesus did on our behalf. Lord, we lift the Mexico missions team to you. As they prepare, Lord, would they glorify you. As they go, would they glorify you. And I pray that you would change lives on this side of the border and there. Lord, as we give this morning, I pray that we would do it with cheerful hearts. And the funds that are given, Lord, that they would further your ministry here in the bonds of Paul Gifford. In Jesus' name.
Amen. Please be seated. Our God conquered the grave. Amen, church? Hey, let's have a word of prayer as we talk to our Heavenly Father right now. He's alive. He's right here with us. Lord Jesus, thank you for the opportunity we have now to open your word. Help us to have teachable hearts. God, we know you love teachable hearts. People that are ready to receive your word. And I pray that that would be true of all of us today. Lord, we love you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, we're in a series entitled Ordinary Superheroes of the Old Testament. We've been doing a chronological study of the major people of the Old Testament. I'm going to skip all the uh, individual people, but go right to the major movements that we see, starting with the exodus of Moses, right, from the country of Egypt, freeing two million slaves. Then for uh, 40 years, they wander in the wilderness. That's in the book of Numbers. Then we talked about Joshua conquering the land in seven years. And then once they're in the land, there's a 400-year period known as the period of the judges. Three famous ones were Deborah, Gideon, and Samson. Samuel was the prophet that kind of was the bridge prophet between the judges and the United Kingdom where three kings reigned, Saul, David, and Solomon. Saul was a, a, a bad king, failure, F, grade F. David, grade A. He wasn't perfect, but he repented when he sinned. Solomon was a man with a half heart for God, started out strong, but compromised the purity of the nation of, the Israel, of Israel. That compromise led to a divided kingdom, a civil war. When Solomon's son took over, his name was Rehoboam, there was a civil war, and the country was divided. So that period is known as the divided kingdom. That lasted 350 years. Let me map it out for you. In the north, there was Israel. In this point in the Bible, 2 Kings, 2 Chronicles, when you read about Israel, it's just the northern ten tribes. When you read about Judah, it's the southern two, right? And, and yet, the story is a sad one. It's a dark period in the nation of Israel. Out of 19 kings in the north, zero of them, none of them, follow God. And in 722, God raises up a kingdom by the name of Assyria that comes down and destroys the northern kingdom of Israel, scatters the ten tribes. If you hear the phrase, the lost ten tribes of Israel, that's from 722 B.C., when Assyria scattered all those people in the northern kingdom. That was in 722. The southern kingdom was a little better, but not much. They had 20 kings, and only eight of them followed after God. We're going to talk about one of those eight today. But in 586, God would raise up another kingdom by the name of Babylon that would destroy Jerusalem in 586, ending the period of the divided kingdom. But there was one king by the name of King Josiah that stood above the rest. The Bible describes it this way. There was no king like him in Judah before and no king like him afterwards. Why? Because he made a change that's the title of our talk today, Time for Change. Now, I'm going to challenge you today. Where are you at in your heart with the Lord? Maybe this is the day when you make a change. When you say, no more mediocre following of God, I'm going to give him all that I have. I'm going to make a change in my life. I'm going to get rid of the garbage in my life and really follow Jesus. The bottom line of our talk today is this. King Josiah, he took the throne at the age of eight, by the way one of the youngest kings in human history. King Josiah takes a bold stand at an early age for the Lord and leads the nation from rebellion to revival. Now, if you're like me, you probably have had stages like that in your life where you were in rebellion and God brought about a revival in your life. 
We're going to look at that today. What does it take to bring about revival, not only in a nation, but in my life, in my heart? To have a revival in my relationship with the God that loves me. His actions remind us of the confidence we should have in the Word of God and its power to change lives. You're going to find out how this change came about. And one of the key factors is this. The Word of God had been lost for years in the kingdom of Judah. Even in the temple. Can you imagine if somebody came into this church and said, Hey, is there a Bible anywhere to be found in this church? Not, not one? Well, of course, we have Bibles peppered throughout this building, right? Because the Bible is the Word of God. The Bible gives us God's plan for our lives, how to relate to Him, who He is, how to be a person that follows God. It's all here in the Bible. So we want the Bible all over the place. When King Josiah became king, the, the Word of God had been lost. No one was reading it. They didn't even know where it was. Like you to turn your Bibles to 2 Kings chapter 22. If you don't have your Bibles, there should be one nearby. 2 Kings chapter 22. And before I get into the text of verse 1, chapter 22 of 2 Kings, let me tell you a little more about Josiah. Josiah began his reign in 640 B.C. Reigned until 609 B.C. for 31 years. He was the son of King Ammon and the grandson of King Manasseh, both of them, both of them, wicked kings. But I love the fact that Josiah didn't say, hey, my dad was a wicked king. I was way raised in a wicked household. I'm going to be just like my dad. And my grandfather was like that too. So I can't change. I'm going to be just like my dad. I'm going to live a life that is in rebellion against God. He doesn't rationalize like that. He doesn't say, just because my dad was like that and my granddad was like that, they were wicked, they were rebellious against God, I'm going to be like that too. He doesn't do that. He makes a change. And I want to challenge any of you, never fall into the trap of saying, well, I'm the way I am because this is the way my parents raised me. Yes, of course, the way parents raise you has an influence on you. It can impact your life. But let me tell you this with all the conviction I can. The power of God can overcome any past negative circumstance in your life. Don't deny the power of God to overcome bad parents, a bad example as a dad. Josiah did not make that excuse. He made a difference. And Josiah was an amazing king. He's one of the world's youngest kings. began his reign at age 8. The highlight of Josiah's reign was at the age of 26. They're cleaning out the temple. And the priest comes out and says, hey, I found this book. We should probably read it. And he reads it in front of the king, and it starts a revival. I love what it says about Josiah in the Bible. And he did what was right in the eyes of the Lord and walked in all the way of his father. And he did not turn aside to the right or to the left. Didn't turn aside to the right or the left. It reminds me of Jesus' words, right? Which are so challenging to me. I hope they are to you. He said, anyone who puts his hands to the plow and looks back, to the right or to the left, or looks back, not fit for the kingdom of God. See, God wants us focused. This is the destination God wants to bring you. He wants to set you free. He wants you to experience the abundant life that he promised. King Josiah was like that. He didn't turn to the right or to the left. He stayed focused. He kept going in his walk with the Lord. He raised money to repair the temple. Solomon had built the temple. It was a beautiful temple, but it had fallen into disrepair. He raised money to fix it. And when the law was read, the king tore his clothes, a sign of mourning and repentance. He called for a time of national repentance. There's still this ringing in the, 
sound system. I don't know if you guys are back there. You can maybe adjust that so it doesn't hurt anybody's ears. But he called for a covenant, right, between the people and the Lord. The king stood by the pillar and made a covenant before the Lord to walk after the Lord and to keep his commandments and his testimonies and statutes with all his heart and with all his soul. I'm going to turn off this mic. Maybe that's causing it. With all his heart and with all his soul. Reminds me of the great commandment, right? It says this, to love God with all your what? Heart, soul, mind, and strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself. I, I love those verses. Why? Because so many people think the Christian life is a bunch of don'ts. Don't do this. Don't do that. Yeah, stay with. It really isn't. It really is two powerful do's. Love God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. That's what Josiah was like. He stood in front of the people and said, man, I'm going to love God with all my heart and all my soul to perform the words of this covenant that were written in this book that we found in the temple. And all the people joined in the covenant. He started this revival. He started the revival. This young king at the age of 26, reigning in the kingdom of Judah from the city of Jerusalem. What's revival all about? Let me talk about that. Revival is all about this. Getting fired up for once, what once burned in your life. Maybe there was a time in your life you remember coming to faith in Christ. I certainly do, like it was yesterday. And there was an excitement there, right? There was an excitement there about this new relationship and knowing what that decision to follow Christ entailed and what it meant for me. My eternity at that moment was changed from being apart from God for all of eternity to now spending all of eternity with God. There was an amazing transformation. And God is still working in my life to change me and grow me up to be more like him. But there may be periods in your life when you've gone up and down spiritually in the intensity of your walk with him. I want to challenge us all to be fired up about our walk with God, to ignite what should be a passion in your life, and that is Jesus Christ. No one else comes close. That this God who created you has given you a plan for life. I tell people all the time, if you want to know how something works, go to the inventor. If you want to find out how you work, go to the inventor. Where do we find that out? In the Word of God. If you want to find out how life works, go to the inventor. It's right here in the Word of God. This is where we find it. This is the plan that God has for us. Uh, this week, my kids were on spring break, and uh, we took a little trip to Laguna. And I, I love, how many of you have been to Laguna Beach? Be Laguna Beach? Live? All right. One thing I love about Laguna Beach, it has two half-court basketball courts right on the beach. It's amazing. My boys were playing basketball with me. We were having a great time. Hardly even touched the sand. Playing basketball all the time. And then at night, we were staying at this little hotel. And I was in the pool at night. And this guy came in. I started to talk with him. And he said, oh, you know, where are you guys from? I said, well, we're down here uh, in this North San Diego County area. And uh, but we moved here from Chicago. About nine. Oh, Chicago. I, I, I was accepted to a program at the University of Chicago. And I said, really? Which program was it? He said this, evolutionary theory. I said, thank you, God. Thank you. He was in the pool with me. We talked for like the next two hours. I told him, I said, listen, uh, let, me, let me ask you this question. If evolution is so powerful, why can't evolutionists, atheistic evolutionists, find one transitional fossil? Like, for example, I said, you believe a reptile turned into a bird. Why can't we find fossils of a reptile slowly over billions of years so there should be thousands of them, millions of them. 
fossils of something changing from this animal to the next. There's never been one ever found. He goes, oh, that's not true. I said, yes, name, name one. Transitional. Clearly changing. Developing wings where there weren't wings there before, but not fully functional yet. That's what transition means. When a reptile is developing wings, but not fully functional, because you believe it turned into a bird over billions of years. And then he said this, which was really a point for my case. He said, well, you know, flight, it's a, flight is amazing. Do you know how well, and he used this word, engineered a feather is? I said, exactly, you're making my point. I said, that's exactly what we're talking about here. That God designed birds with feathers that are amazingly engineered. And he said, well, um, I can't really think of a transitional fossil, but I can think of something that's transitional. I said, okay, what animal is clearly changing from one animal to another? You know what his best example was? He said this, an ostrich. I said, an ostrich. I said, you know, that's fully functional. He's perfectly designed to do what he needs to do. He travels quickly on land. His feathers help them, but he's not transforming into a bird. He's not going to fly in a million years. That ostrich is going to have babies just like that ostrich is. And we had this great talk. We had great talk. Then later it was kind of fun because... Uh, he left, and there was a guy on his chair, and he came up to me at the edge of the pool. Like he was embarrassed. You know, he goes, I heard what you were saying to that guy in the pool, and I want you to know my wife and I, we read the Bible. We love Jesus. We don't go to church, but we love Jesus, and we read the Bible. And I said to him, you need to go to church. You need to go to church. If you love Jesus, go to church. You guys have gifts and abilities. You and your, yeah, but there are people in church that, you know, they say one thing and do another. I said, that's me. That's everyone in church. We all have our moments when we don't walk like we should, but that's what the church does. It builds up people. I said, Bill, you have wonderful gifts and abilities. Your wife, God's given them to you. Use them for him. See, we have this amazing God who loved us all the way to the cross. And it breaks my heart when it's being taught to kids and others that we are a result of some uh, non-directed accident that happened over billions of years. No, you are created by a God that made you fearfully and wonderfully. And he died on the cross as an expression of his love for you to make a way for you to be right with the God who made you. See, that's what revival is all about. Elevate Jesus back to first place. Let me give you this quote about revival. We've got to move quickly because I have a lot to cover. Revival is this. I like this quote. Awakens in our hearts an increased awareness of the presence of God. Do you have this awareness as you go through life? God's with me. I'm walking with God. He never leaves me. In my car, in my room, in my house, at work, in the neighborhood, wherever I'm at, God's with me. I have this increased awareness of God, the presence of God, a new love for God, a new hatred for sin. You know, we love the sinner, right? But hate the sin. Why do we hate sin? Because it is so destructive. That's why as we took the bread in the cup, we're reminded of how ugly the cross is, right? How gory it is, how bloody it is. People have asked me, and I've said this before, I know, but it's important to understand. People have asked me, why is the cross so gory and bloody? Because it's an eternal illustration of how destructive sin is. Sin will destroy you. That's why we're to hate the sin in our lives. That's why this young king hated the sin in the nation of Israel. A hatred for sin and a, sin and a hunger for his word. All right, I'm going to turn to first, uh, 2 Kings chapter 22. Let's read it. Verse 1. Josiah was eight years old when he began to reign, and he reigned 31 years in Jerusalem. 
His mother's name was Jedediah, the daughter of Adadiah of Boscah. And he did what was right in the eyes of the Lord, walked in all the ways of David his father, did not turn aside to the right or the left. In the 18th year, so he's 26 years old, right? 18th year of King Josiah. The king sent Shaphan, the son of Azaliah, the son of Meshulam. Why are the names so hard in the Bible? Why weren't they John and Tom and Bill? He sent the secretary to the house of the Lord, saying, Go up to Hilkiah, the high priest, that he may count the money that has been brought into the house of the Lord, which the keepers of the threshold have collected from the people, and let it be given into the hands of the workmen who have oversight on the house of the Lord. King Josiah said, You know what? We're going to rebuild the temple. It's fallen into disrepair. Then this is the cool part of it. Listen to this. Verse 8. Hilkiah, the high priest, said to Shaphan, the secretary, I have found the book of the law in the house of the Lord. And Hilkiah gave the book to Shaphan, and he read it. So Hilkiah, the high priest, says, Man, I found this book in the house of the Lord. He gives it to the secretary of the king. The king opens up like, What is this thing? Wow. Look what it says there. i got to bring this to the king's attention. So he does that. When the king, verse 11, heard the words of the book of the law, he tore his clothes. And the king commanded Hilkiah the priest and Ahikam, the son of Shaphan, and Akbar, the son of Micaiah, and Shaphan, the secretary. And man, I got him. Go, go inquire of the Lord for me, he says. And for all the people and for all Judah concerning the words of this book that has been found, for great is the wrath of the Lord that is kindled against us. Because here it is. Our fathers have not obeyed the words of this book to do according to it all that is written concerning us. This young king tears his clothes when he hears the reading of the word of God. He's probably reading out of the book of Exodus, the reading of the covenant that God made with the nation of Israel and the laws of God. Thou shalt have no other God before me. And he knows that in the temple are all of these idols that have populated the temple that was dedicated to the one true God, Yahweh. And, jo and Josiah, this young king, says, enough. Time for change. We're making a change. Here's the first step to revival. It's this. Real revival requires rededication. What are the foundational beliefs that you have today? to rededicate yourself to that, to say, I believe in Jesus Christ. I believe in his word. I will receive the word of God for what it truly is, God's plan for me, the word of God. That's what Josiah does. He rededicates himself to what the word of God says. My friends, I get it more than probably most of you because I deal with it a lot, but I know you all get it. Our culture is going further and further away from the truth of the Word of God. Do not be ashamed of the Word of God. It is truth. Do not be ashamed of what Jesus taught us. His words have authority. Why? Because he died, and three days later he rose again. That gives his words amazing, awesome authority. Don't doubt the words of Jesus. But the nation of Judah had lost its love for God. They didn't even know where the Bible was anymore. I'm reminded of the words that Jesus told the church in Ephesus in Revelation when he spoke this, I have this against you. You do not love me now as you did at first. Some versions say you have lost your what? First love. And for some of us, that may be the diagnosis of our problem. We've lost our love for the Lord. 
We've begun to allow other things to take our heart and own our heart. And it's time for us to love the Lord again with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. Like Josiah, when he stood in front of the people, he said, you know what? I'm changing. I'm loving God with all my heart and all my soul. Who's with me? And all the people joined in. Hey, we're with you, Josiah. We're with you. May we have parents that will say to their kids, we will endeavor to love God with all of our heart and soul. You guys, you're with me. We're doing this in our family. This is a priority in our lives. Rededicating ourselves to the truth of God's word. Here's the second thing real revival requires. It's this, repentance. A lot of people don't like the word repentance. Any idea why people don't like the word repentance? Yeah, yeah, it's because you have to admit you're wrong, right? You have to admit you did something wrong. In our culture, no one can tell anyone else that you're wrong. You have no authority to tell me that I'm wrong. Well, that's what the Word of God gives us, right? The ability to tell Mel Svensson, hey, Mel, when you think these things or do these things or act in this way, you're violating God's plan because God's Word gives us an authoritative guide for what's right and what's wrong. Why? We're going back to the inventor, the person who invented life, who invented people. He knows how it operates. So real repentance says, God, I trust your plan. That's exactly what Josiah did. Hey, we're not keeping ourselves this covenant like we should. God, God must be so frustrated with our people because we're not following this. Repentance comes from the word metanoia in the Greek. It means to turn a 180. You're going this way, and you do a metanoia, and you're turning this way. You're walking away from God, you repent, and you walk towards God. It's a 180-degree change of perspective. You're dead to the old. I'm not loving these things anymore. It just reminds me how destructive sin is. I'm not going to do this anymore. I've turned my attention to God and His plan. I'm going to do this, what it says in the Word. It's exactly what King Josiah did dead to the old, alive to new. I like one writer who said this, instead of repentance, people are seeking all kinds of counterfeit spiritual experiences instead of the simplicity of saying, God, I was wrong. I'm sorry. I, I loved all these other things, all these other idols in my life. I didn't think much about you. Your, your, your word is like back in my closet somewhere in my bedroom. I don't even know where it is. I've forgotten all about you, God. I'm turning around. I'm focusing on you and moving forward. Like what one writer said, he said, the repentance, the metanoia called for throughout the Bible is a summons to personal, absolute, and ultimate, unconditional surrender to God as sovereign. It's the wisest thing we can do. How could we ever think that our ideas, our plan, our agenda could in any way compete with the wisdom of God's plan, God's ideas, God's agenda? See, God's plan for our marriages is perfect. God's plan for our lives is perfect. God's plan is perfect. And Josiah said, I'm not doing the old anymore. I'm changing. There's going to be a radical change. And then he goes on and says this in that text, though it includes sorrow and regret, it is more than that. In repenting, one must make a complete change of direction, a 180-degree turn toward God. Here's the next thing, real repentance, real revival requires. Reformation. Let me tell you about what Josiah did. If you turn your Bibles, verse 8, I love this. You know, he... he uh, Hilkiah the high priest, I found the book of the law. That's verse 8, right? He goes through and they read it and he tears his clothes. Then chapter 23. 
The king sent all the elders of Judah and Jerusalem were gathered to him. And the king went up to the house of the Lord with all the men of Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem and the priests and the prophets, all the people, both small and great. And he read in the hearing all the words of the book of the covenant that had been found in the house of the Lord. Hey, people, let me read to you what we just found in the temple. And the king stood at the pillar. We read that. He made a covenant. Verse 4. The king commanded Hilkiah the high priest and the priests of the second order and the keepers of the threshold to bring out of the temple of the Lord. Think about it. This is the temple that Solomon dedicated to Yahweh, the one true God, to bring out of the temple of the Lord all the vessels made for Baal, for Asherah, and for all the other idols under heaven, all the other hosts of heaven. He burned them outside Jerusalem in the fields of the Kidron, carried their ashes to Bethel, and he just deposed the priests whom the kings of Judah had ordained to make offerings in the high places of the cities of Judah and around Jerusalem, those who burned incense to Baal. Verse 6, he brought out the Asherah from the house of the Lord outside Jerusalem to the brook of Kidron and burned it at the brook of Kidron. Here's what he did. Totally cleansed the temple. It was filled with idols for Baal. Filled with idols for Asherah and other false gods that didn't exist. And I love the fact, he not only cleansed the temple, but he did this. He destroyed and defiled all the heathen temples in Judah. Not only did he destroy them, but he defiled them. He put dead men's bones in them as if to say, hey, I'm going to challenge your false gods. If they don't like what I'm doing by defiling their temples, let them stand up as a god and do something to me. But they couldn't. They, were, they didn't exist, right? There's only one true God, and that's Yahweh. And I'm sure he was hated. I'm sure the idol worshipers said all these nasty things about the king. I'm sure they called him a hater, and I'm sure they criticized him. But he would not be deterred. When you read the text, he goes throughout the whole country, tearing down the false idol worship, tearing down their temples, defiling them, challenging these false gods to stop him, but they couldn't. See, he believed confidently in the word of God. My hope and prayer is that we as believers here in Riverview would believe confidently that what we have is the Word of God, that you would, would receive it for what it is. See, I hear so many people diss the Word of God. They attack the Word of God, and it's not even true. And sometimes believers hear it, and they think, oh, wow, that must, I guess that must be true. That person said it to me. Yesterday, uh, I'm sorry, no, it was a few days ago, in the pool with that guy who was an evolutionary theorist, he said to me, well, Mel, Come on, I mean, you know, the, the Gospels themselves weren't written until 300 years after Christ. I said, that's a lie. Where did you hear that? I said, the John Ryland's fragment, for example, is just one manuscript evidence that was found and dated around 100 B.C. John died in 90. That's an amazing correspondence. See, the truth is, you, you've heard something that's not true, and you reject the Bible, but you reject it on false information. Here's the reality about the Bible. The truth is this. No other book or collections of writings is as nearly significant, profoundly influential, and endured over the centuries in spite of periods of all-out persecution as the Bible. No other book is like it in all of human history. No book has impacted this world more than what uh, the book that you hold in your hand impacted the world. Let me say this as well. Often a predetermined bias 
hearing something that's not true about the Bible, choosing to be against it, or ignorance or misinformation has kept people from realizing that no man or series of human beings could have put this book together. Think about it. There have been religious books written by one person, right? One person wrote it. But inside, it's filled with contradictions that have caused people in that religion to have to make serious changes to the text because it's an obvious contradiction. It's not true of the Bible. And it's not written by one person. Let me tell you about it. The 66 books, 39 in the Old Testament, 27 in the New, have been written over a 1,600-year period. They've been written in three different languages, Hebrew, Greek, and Aramaic, written by 40 different authors. Yet it is consistent throughout. Same message. I've told you this. The Bible is all about God pursuing us to bring us into a right relationship with him from beginning to end. That's what the Bible is all about, a consistent message. And that that relationship is not found in our goodness, in our good works. That relationship is found in God's amazing grace that sent his son to die on the cross to make a way that by faith in him, we are forgiven. We are made a new creation. We're adopted into the family of God. And your eternity is secure. He he said this to me too. He said, well, hey, even a few years after what happened with Jesus, how could they even remember it? I said, ah, good question. I quoted him this verse. Jesus made a promise to his disciples, the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name. He will teach you all things. And here it is. Bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. See, God was promising divine help when the books of the Bible were written. Don't doubt it. God can do it. He created the universe with 400 billion galaxies. He can help the writers of God's word remember what Jesus taught. No problem. So that's called inspiration. God guarantees an accurate recording of his revelation to us by guiding and uh, the selection of the very words to be written and by so doing, breathing out what he wanted known. See, God used the various persons who wrote the Bible. He used their writing style. Paul's writing style is different than John's. But both of them were inspired by God. 2 Timothy 3.16 says, All scripture is inspired by God. The Greek word is theopneustos. Theos meaning God. Pneustos meaning breathed out. All of it breathed out by God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit so that we can be confident that what we have is the Word of God, just like Josiah. He was confident, man, I I believe what the Word of God says, and we're making a change. We're making a change. See, the Bible in its original documents, I'm going to give you three words. Verbal, the very words themselves are inspired by God. Plenary, every part is equally inspired. You mean the genealogies, Mel? Those boring genealogies that I read that always stop me from reading through the Bible? Yes, inspired by God. God has a reason for it being in there. Every one of the parts of the Bible are inspired. I get a little tired of people that say to me, and I've heard it many times, I only believe the red words of the Bible. Have you heard that? What they're saying is, the words spoken by Jesus, those are the only words I really put any faith in. I respond by saying, well, you know that Jesus is the Lagos, right? He's the Word of God. So every part of the Bible are the, is the words of Jesus. Every part. He's the one that inspired it all. So if you're only going to believe the words of Jesus, then you're going to take the entire Bible because he inspired all of, it, all of it. He's the living Word of God. 
People have told me, well, the Bible's been changed over uh, thousands of years, obviously. They used to think that. Until in 1947, one of the greatest archaeological finds of all time was discovered. Anybody know what it was? Dead Sea Scrolls, right. In 1947, a shepherd boy is looking for a sheep, can't find the sheep. He throws a rock into a cave. Here's a crack. What was that? He walks into the cave. He finds vessels like the ones that you see on the screen. Inside those vessels are parchments of the Word of God. Inside one of those vessels is a virtually complete copy of the book of Isaiah, which was amazing, because up till that point, the oldest copy of the book of Isaiah was about 300 to 400 A.D., 300 years after Christ. And people would say, oh, there's no way the book of Isaiah is anything like it was originally when Isaiah wrote it. They would say about Isaiah 53, but by his stripes we are healed. Oh, Christians added that. That wasn't even in the original book. And they found the original Isaiah the Isaiah copy in the Qumran caves. They opened it up and compared this copy of Isaiah 300 years before Christ to the copy they had three to 400 years after Christ. And over 700 years, it was virtually identical, had not changed a bit. Isaiah 53, it was there. Because they didn't fully understand the cautious and careful attitude of the Jews when they copied the Word of God. And these copies, both New Testament and Old Testament, spread around the Mediterranean world to all different churches. The New Testament alone has over 5,000 supporting Greek manuscripts or copies of the New Testament. In other languages, there are 25,000 additional manuscripts some of the manuscripts date within 10 to 15 years of the original writing. The New Testament books were completed about 90 AD. This guy in the pool said to me, oh, well, they weren't written until 300 years after Christ. Like, that is not true. If you know anything about the manuscript evidence, you know that's not true. These were written by the original eyewitnesses. One of the greatest archaeologists of all time, Sir Frederick Kenyon, said this, the last foundation for any doubt that the scriptures have come down to us substantially as they were written has now been removed. He looked at all the manuscripts and said, man, we can be confident that what we hold in our hands is what was originally written. People have said to me, and I want you to know how to respond to this, people have said to me, there are hundreds of mistakes in the Bible. What would you say to that? Yeah, that's a first great response. Name one. I have never had a person who has said that to me, and I've heard it a lot. I will say to them, Give, show, tell me one. One mistake in the Bible. I've never had a person show me one. Now, there are passages they could turn to that are somewhat problematic, but great explanations that I could give them for each of those passages. But never have I had a person show me one mistake. What they generally mean when they say there are hundreds and thousands of mistakes in the Bible, they're talking about the manuscript evidence. Let me give you an example. Let's say uh, statement number one, Jesus Christ is the Savior of the world. Let's say that's a verse out of John. A copier comes along and says, I'm going to copy this book and take it back to my church in Corinth. So he starts to copy it. But instead of writing Jesus Christ as the Savior of the world, he makes a mistake and writes Christ Jesus as the Savior of the whole world. Is that a mistake in the Bible? No. It's a mistake in a copy. Another guy comes along and copies it, and he, he copies it. Jesus Christ is the Savior of the world. He leaves out the word whole. Is that a mistake in the Bible? No. It's a mistake in the copy. Another person comes along and writes, Jesus Christ is our Savior of the whole world. Is that a mistake in the Bible? No, it's a mistake in the copy. Now, if I got those three copies, 
I could be pretty confident what the original said, just with three copies. Now remember, we have 27,000 manuscripts of the New Testament that we can compare. But even those three copies, I would have a pretty good idea. Okay, two of the three put Jesus Christ, not Christ Jesus. The original probably said Jesus Christ. Two of the three have the word whole in there. The other one doesn't. Probably the word whole was there. That's just with three copies, not 27,000. So people who say there are thousands of mistakes in the Bible, that's ridiculous to say that. In fact, it's all the manuscripts that give us great confidence to know that there are no mistakes in the New Testament, that our confidence in the text is incredibly high, like 99.9%. Generally, the question is word order and a missing word or two. See, 20,000, 27,000 New Testament manuscripts. People have said to me, well, Mel, the Bible has been changed. Have you heard that? And what I say, well, tell me what you mean by that. Well, look at all the versions you have. You have the King James, you have the NIV. They're all different. They, the Bible's been changed, obviously. I said, well, you don't understand how those versions came about. There are 27,000 Greek manuscripts, so we have an incredibly reliable Greek New Testament. And what happened was, scholars who know Greek incredibly well and the English language came along, took the Greek New Testament, and the King James Version was translated in 1611. Now, when you read the King James Version, you realize this is old English. Our English language has changed quite a bit. So more modern-day translations came right out of the Greek New Testament. The Bible wasn't changed. It was just translated into a more modern translation. The New King James, the New International Version, the one that I use, the English Standard Version, all out of the original Greek. But some people say, oh, the Bible's been changed. If I had a letter in Norwegian up on the screen, we've talked about this before, and you were all experts in the Norwegian language and the English language, and I said, would you all please translate that, that letter? All the translations might be a little bit different, but if you are experts in the Norwegian language and English language, the meaning will be identical because you're all experts at it. See, that's what we have in the Bible. Yes, there are different translations, but all of them maintain the original meaning of the text. Here's what I love about Josiah as well, as we come to a fourth strategy. So I want you to have confidence in the Word of God. Every time you open it up, don't believe the lies that are out there. And that leads me to point number four. It's this. Real revival requires repentance. What I love about Josiah, he not only finds the Bible that had been lost, but then he says this, you know what? The Bible talks about the Passover. We haven't done that for years. We're going to celebrate the Passover. We're going to remember what God did for us. And my prayer would be every one of you would say, you know what? You're so right. No, I was lost. I was hopeless before I came to Christ. I met Jesus and he's turned my life around. Yes, I'm still struggling with these issues in my life. That's part of growing up in your walk with him. But I will constantly remember all that Jesus did for me on the cross, the price that he paid to set me free from the destructive nature of sin in my life. And I'm going to live for him. I'm going to revive this fire in my life for Jesus. I'm going to remember what God did for me and make a change. Amen, church? Amen. Hey, let's bow our hearts in prayer this morning. As your hearts are bowed, I know I went a little over time. Thanks for bearing with me. But it's so important that each one of us has confidence in the Word of God. That the God who created 400 billion galaxies wanted us to have a book from Him. God did write a book. It's called the Bible. 
And Lord, I pray that as we leave this place, we would fire up a revival in our hearts. Help us to be like Josiah, this young king who got rid of all the garbage, got rid of all the idols, and he took a bold stand for you the rest of his life. Didn't turn to the right, didn't turn to the left, but kept his eyes on you. Lord, help us to be like that. Help us to commit our lives to you like that. And we pray this all in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Let's all stand together and sing this song. Hosanna, Hosanna, you are the God who saves us, worthy of all our praises. Hosanna, Hosanna, come have your way among us, we welcome you. We have home group leaders and elders up front who would love to pray with you about anything going on in your life. Please greet one another and live this week all for him. God bless you. See you on the patio.